Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Super 70 Sports Podcast. I'm Ricky Cobb, and we've got a good one for you today. My guest is Kermit Washington. Kermit was a second-team All-American in 1973, coming out of American University, and went on to make the NBA All-Star team in 1980, and he was a two-time All-Defensive Team selection, one of the hardest-working players of his era. And no stranger to controversy. So we're going to cover all that and more today. Perhaps we can even get him to size up the 2016 NBA playoffs for us. I don't think that uh, we've spoken to anybody on this podcast who would be better qualified to do that. So let's get right to it. Joining me now on the Super 70 Sports Hotline, Mr. Kermit Washington. Kermit, thanks for coming on the show. No problem, no problem. Glad to, glad to you um, invited me. Ah, well, it, it, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I've, I've been a fan of yours uh, since I was a kid and uh, really excited uh, to talk to you today about your career. And, and one thing that I want to start with, one of the things that I find most fascinating about your basketball career is the fact that in college at American University, you averaged a 2020 for your entire career, and, and I want to repeat that for the people who are listening so that they understand what I'm saying. This man, Kermit Washington, averaged 20.1 points per game and 20.2 rebounds per game for his entire three-year college career. Okay, I got to ask you, how, how the heck do you, do you do that? I mean, were, were you Superman in, in those days? Because that's unbelievable. Oh, oh, let me just say this. Let me say this. Is that I was a young kid that loved sports. I absolutely loved football, which is my favorite sport. Basketball, baseball, I played anything. Anything that I could play, I would play. And I, in high school, I lettered in football, basketball. I played baseball. I played tennis. And anything, but now you have to realize, and most people don't understand this. I was five six in the tenth grade, and then I was six one my junior year, and I played high school basketball my senior year at six foot four. But only reason I went out for the basketball team is because my best friend was a star on the team, and he had a car, and he says if you go out for the team. I'll give you a ride to school and a ride home. So I said, okay, I'll go off for the team. Now, on that team, I didn't, um, I wasn't playing a lot. So I want you to understand, I, was, I didn't play basketball until my senior year. And I played on the playground, but I never played any organized sports, basketball. So I went off the team, and a lot of the guys on the team got, got cut because they weren't doing their academics. So all of a sudden, I get a chance to play a little bit. And I wasn't very good. I think my senior year, I averaged about six points and four rebounds. That's it. But after the season, I kind of embarrassed myself. Even though I, um, I, I got a letter, but I wasn't very good. So I just said, I'm going to start practicing just to be a little bit better in, in, in what we're doing. And so in basketball. So I went and bought a book. And, um, but they had very good basketball in D.C. Excellent basketball. And um, I, James Brown, who does the CBS, or he does football now, you see him on Sundays, and he's the host of the football programs, either on CBS, NBC, one of those shows, James mm-hmm. Brown. Yep. He was the number one basketball player at DeMatha High School and a great leaper. 
And so I asked him, he says, well, he jumped rope. I said, okay, I jump rope. I'm getting me a jump rope and started jumping rope just to improve so I could play better on the playground. Then I read an article about Spence Haywood, Spencer Haywood. He went to the University of Detroit and he was a star in the Olympics. And he, I read that he had a weight vest and he would run and stuff with the weight vest. So I combined the two things together and went and bought a vest, white weight vest of 20 pounds and a jump rope, and I started jumping rope the first probably week 100 times a night, and every week I would double what I did. It gets to the point, and I kept growing, so I'm also now, not only am I 6'4", I'm becoming 6'5", and I got up to jumping 10,000 times every night with a 20-pound weight set. Wow. And I didn't miss a night probably for... I don't know, six or seven months. Never missed a single night. And then all of a sudden, I started playing on the playgrounds. I started really being able to jump. Not a lot of basketball skills, but I could really jump and put the ball in. And so what happened, I had no scholarships anywhere, and this was during the Vietnam War. And what happened, all of a sudden, I had a friend that said, well, their tryout for every senior that has played basketball in Washington, D.C., it was called the Allentown Tournament, which was a big thing you know, 40 years ago, whatever it was. And I said, well, I can let anybody can try out. They said, yes, if you were a senior, you could try out for this, this all-star team. So I knew I wasn't going to make it, but I wanted to see how much I had improved in like two or three months after the season was over. And so um, the, the coach of the math, Morgan Wooten, was a coach along with Joe Gallagher of St. John's. So those are pretty powerful teams in, in Washington, D.C. area. And I tried out and didn't make it, but I had improved so much, I had a couple of coaches wanted to offer me a scholarship. And one was Maryland and Rutgers and High Point and Howard University and George Washington and American. But, see, here's the thing. I, I just didn't think I was going to be any good, so... First of all, I would love to have a scholarship, and these coaches, my two coaches, Tom Young and Tom Davis, they said, well, we'll take you out to dinner and talk about your future. And I had no concept of ever thinking I was going to get a scholarship, so I said, okay, I'll go out. And they ordered me a steak. I had never had a steak in my life, <laughs> and, and I never, ever had a steak. And, and so they said, well, you want to look at American University? I said, I lived in D.C., and American was in D.C., but... It was on the other side of the tracks, and let's just use that terminology. Mm-hmm. And that was in the white section where we as blacks really you know, weren't allowed to go. Even though you could go there, you really weren't welcome to go over 16th Street. That's over there, Bethesda, Chevy Chase, near American University, all the very, very nice areas. I had never been over there, past a certain area, past Rock Creek Park. So I, I, I said, okay, I'll come to your school. And so uh, I, I just... To American University. I said, this is wonderful. And so that summer, though, I improved so much, and I grew to be six foot eight, though, too. That helped. <laughs> that summer, that after I grew four more inches, and I was a late, I was in college at 17, but I didn't even shave until I graduated from college. So I was still <laughs> growing. So I went to college, and you couldn't play varsity back then, so we had to play freshman, freshman basketball. So as a freshman, um, because of all of my improvement, I average about, I'd say about 20 points and 25 rebounds a game as a freshman. And that's from like six points and four rebounds a game. 
So I started realizing if I just keep working hard, you know, I could be pretty good at this game. And so, <laughs> so it just happened. And then, uh, then I'll let you ask me a question after this. Well, after my freshman year, we had the best freshman team in the history of the school. And we always would play Georgetown, George Washington, Maryland, teams like that. And, and he says, well, Kermit, if you can average 10 points and 10 rebounds as a sophomore, I'll be very, very happy. And so I said, oh, coach, that sounds good. I guess I can. And then they started me lifting weights, too, because I was really pathetically skinny, but I could jump. I was like Kevin Durant. Skinny, but I could jump. And I didn't have any other athletic skills except basketball skills, except for really being able to run and jump and block shots and very quick. But my sophomore year, I averaged about 20 points and 20 rebounds. I just didn't know. The funny thing is, I didn't know the difference between an offensive rebound and a defensive rebound. <laughs> and so what happened is when the ball went up, I, I started just supposed to go get it. So I just didn't know. I just went up and got every single rebound. And so my first game, I don't know who we played. I Maybe it was a rider or some team. And as a sophomore, my first game, I think I had about 18 points and 26 rebounds. And we won the game. And... Um, I looked in the newspaper, and they said Kermit Washington had an auspicious start. Well, I didn't even know what that word meant. I said, what, what, what does that mean, auspicious start? So I had to look it up, and I couldn't even spell it, to be honest. I had to look it up. So then that was just the beginning of my career, but I always was a good rebounder because I was always in very, very good shape. I mean, really good shape. I never took off. Um, I just would work. And uh, every day, I would never, if you knew what time of day it was, you knew where I was. It was, I, I another, another thing, I never missed one class in four years of college. Then it was, I never missed one class. Now that's impressive. And, <laughs> I'll tell well, you right and, now. You know, and, I, you know, I graduated with honors and a- academic All-Americans my junior and senior year. Um, postgraduate, NCAA scholarships and all that stuff like that. But I learned through sports, if I worked hard, you know, you can get results. And mm-hmm. same thing academically. So I, I put that effort in, but um, it, it was just an unbelievable college career. And all of my great games were against great teams. I mean, my, my, my career high was against Georgetown. My final game, 40 points, 28 rebounds, and 10 block shots. Um, I, I, I had my highest average rebound against Georgetown, 34 rebounds. St. John's, I must have averaged for my career three years, probably about 28 points and about 25 rebounds against um, Louisville. I had 29 points, only 20 re- I mean, I played well against the best teams. Mm-hmm. And I told people, it's not that I had a lot of talent. I was just in better shape than everybody else. And I, and I, just, I just concentrated on trying to not get tired. So... That's where we are. All right. Well, Kermit, I think that I may have figured something out here. You said that the coach said if you could do 10 and 10 as a sophomore, that would be pretty good. Is it is it possible that you misunderstood him and thought that he wanted 10 and 10 each half? <laughs> because that's... You know what? He, he was very happy. You know, he was he, he was a great coach. Tom Young went on to Rutgers, and they went to the Final Four. And I think they, they were undefeated during the regular season. And I think they got beat in the Final Four. I think it was Michigan and UCLA, Indiana, and Rutgers that year. And they had four guys that made the NBA from that Rutgers team when he left American and went to Rutgers. But, no, great coach, really good coach. And uh, 
Uh, my sophomore year, they wanted me to come out, which was the ABA, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't come out. My junior year, um, Luke Konosecki called and wanted me to come out as their first-round draft pick to the Nets, and they weren't going to pick. They said, if you don't come out, we're going to pick um, Jim Jones from Marquette, and I didn't come out. I stayed in, and um, I, I just love college. I mean, so um, four years four years of college, you know, you get your degree, and to be honest with you, that's the best thing that could ever happen because after your game, your playing games days are over, you have to have a degree to even get your foot in the door for a lot of jobs. Very true. And so I'm very happy I stayed and got my degree. And it's not only that, it's the people you get to know. You're networking, you know, and they know you as a student, athlete, as just not a good ball player. So, right. I, I, you know what, the best time of my life was in college. So, 1973... Yeah, come out of a, a, a American University after uh, you know getting your degree and and completing uh, a really incredible college career, and you get drafted number five overall by the Lakers. What was the transition like for you from the college game to the NBA? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, first of all, when they drafted me, they told me they didn't need me right away because the Lakers were a good team. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the past, they had been very good. And I, it was so weird that he had such a high draft pick, which is a fifth player pick. Um, if I had gone to a team that was bad, I would have played right away. But with the Lakers, they sat me on that bench for really two and a half years. And it was hard. It was very, very difficult. It's not that I didn't think I could play, but it was one thing, though, is you have to realize I went from the center position to a forward position, which is like night and day. Unless you play basketball, you don't understand you know, what the difference is in the two positions. Right. One, you play with your back to the basket, and one, you play facing the basket. And I had to try to learn that transition. And I, it was very difficult for me. And um, as, as everybody knows the story, it, I, I went to Pete Newell, who was the general manager for the Lakers at that time, and said, please, can you help me? Because... I had really nice coaches, but they were point guards. Mm -hmm. And it was Bill Sharman and, um, let me see, Bill Sharman and um, another assistant coach, but both of them were point guards in the NBA, and they really couldn't help me. Mm -hmm. you know? And so I knew Pete Newell could help me, but he was a general manager, and he said they just he couldn't step out of his role and come and help me because it, it's not the proper protocol to go down because it might up, it may make the look, coaches look bad. Right. So I had to wait till he retired my third year after my third year and then he retired and then he said, I can work with you. And he says, if you work with me, you'll play from this point on. And and I worked with him during the summer and from that point on, I either played about 30 minutes a game or I was a starter for the rest of my career because of him, because of the work he put in with me. So, that's, you know, NBA was fun, but not as much fun as college. Because NBA is business. It's a business. It's a tough business. And don't get hurt if somebody wants to take your spot. You have to understand, even though your teammates might be your teammates, the guys who are playing your position, they want you to get hurt or get sick. They want that job. And I don't blame them. They have a family to take care of. So it's not like college. College, they know you're good. They know they're not going to play in front of you. You know, but in pro, it, it's a business. It's a business. Now, in 75, 76, your third year in the league, 
the, the Lakers acquired uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And, of course, in the, the your fourth year when, as you noted, you, you broke out, you averaged, you almost averaged a double-double uh, during uh, your fourth year in the league, 9.7 points, 9.3 rebounds in, 20, in just 25 minutes a game. Uh, what was it like playing with alongside Jabbar? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's strange that you say that because as a kid growing up, Kareem was on my wall. I had a collage of all the players, and Kareem was there from the Sports Illustrated um, spread where it was a double spread where he's sitting, and it, it, I just loved it. I mean, Kareem was just an incredible player, probably, probably in my terms, the greatest college player ever. I would and agree he might with that. And it might be up there, top two or three pros ever. True. To be honest with you. True. Um, it, it was a pleasure playing with him. Yes, it was. Um, you, you have a lot of confidence playing with a guy that's good. Very good. So at the end of the 76-77 season, you're four years in L.A. at that point, and in the fourth year after working with Pete Newell, you you break out and you you reach a different plateau, as you said. From that point forward in your career, when you were healthy, uh, you know you were getting minutes, you were uh, putting up solid numbers, and and really being a major contributor uh, to the teams that you were on. Um, you know, December 9th, nineteen seventy seven, the incident that uh, you know. <laughs> You're always, you know, going to be tied to was the 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 fight that happened uh, between the Lakers and the Rockets, where uh, Rudy Tomjanovich came running towards you, and you didn't know Rudy's intention, and in the moment you turn around and and you hit him, and unfortunately hit him in such a way that you know Rudy was, uh, you know, rather seriously injured, and and that's the thing that I don't really want to talk about that a lot, uh, to be honest with you, because. So much has been said about it, and and uh, you know John Feinstein wrote a wrote a uh, very good book uh, about it, and I know that you and Rudy T are, uh, are are friendly today, and you know this is a long time ago, but uh, how much did that incident uh, affect your career going forward from that point? Well, it didn't really affect. Now, to be honest with you, I played better after that than I played for before. Mm-hmm. Um, so basketball wise, because I still had Pete Newell working with me, and I still worked very hard. Um, it affected your life, yes. Oh, I mean, before that, I always—it's it, funny. I always wanted to be a, a politician, a senator, a congressman after playing ball. But then, well, now I know how crooked they are. So I. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, politician. But you know, it was very difficult because I got traded, and then I went to Boston, which I I liked Boston a lot. But then the ownership switched, and they traded franchises. They took me to San Diego, and then Bill Walton wanted to come to San Diego, so he sent me to Portland. So you know, it's like four teams in two years. It It was difficult because in each city. You have to prove yourself again because they are looking at you as a villain, mm-hmm. and then you have to change their their way of thinking by working hard and carrying yourself a certain way. Then you'll be accepted. But it's difficult. It was difficult. But you know what you learn. I mean, just like life, life is difficult, and you you have to pick up the pieces. You can't you can't complain about life. You got you dealt maybe a, a bad hand right there, but. Hey, a lot of people get dealt worse hands than I did. I'm telling you, in life. So I'm just thankful, and you got through it, and you survived. 
And, and you're right. I mean, you performed everywhere you went. And I want to talk a little bit about the flurry, uh, as you said there, where you, you're playing for four teams basically in a, in a two-year two year period. Um, you know, the, L.A. traded you to uh, uh, Boston. Uh, as it turns out, it was about, uh, I think, about two and a half weeks or something like that after the, after the fight. And, yeah, but uh, Three months. I couldn't yeah. go for three months. Right, and you were uh, because you you were suspended at the time, and uh, it, it, but I read an article, uh, you know, as I was preparing for this discussion, looking back at the time, where you said that you believed that that the trade was actually in the works before the before the fight happened. That the tr- the trade wasn't, no. or, or is that or is that, that is that I don't not, believe that. Okay, that's that, that's what they were saying. Okay. They didn't want to make it look like they were um, getting rid of me, but they were getting rid of me right. because of the situation. Because Kareem had been in a fight before mm-hmm. at the beginning of that year, I think I don't know, and then for this year or maybe last year, and they just it didn't look good. Mm-hmm. And so to have Kareem, well, first of all, Kareem's a star, so it doesn't make any difference. He's going to stay, but they were just getting rid of me. And but here's the good thing. I had known Red Arbeck since I was 17 years old, and his daughter went to college with me at American University. So it, it was not, so he got me because he had known me for so many years. And to come to Boston, and he made it easy for me coming to Boston because of the power that he had with the press and the team. He said, no, I want Kermit here. And so I was, I loved playing there. I don't know, I did well, about 12 points and 10 rebounds. In Boston, and then um, I, I wanted to stay, but uh, let me see. The owner of the Buffalo Braves and wanted to to trade franchises with the Boston Celtic owners and move it to San Diego because the owners of of the Celtics lived in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his name was Levin and. Yep. Um, and, it was two and, of them, and, and they lived in Beverly, and they wanted the franchise, so they switched franchises with Buffalo and moved the Buffalo franchise to San Diego, and so they wanted me to go with them, which was a compliment. See, that's another thing. It's, even though it's a trade, it's a compliment, because they want, they, you want it. They said, we won't make the trade if you, if you won't do it if Kermit can't go, so I went to San Diego. But then, I love San Diego. I don't know what I averaged really I, I maybe 11 points and 9 rebounds. I don't remember, but I, I played in every game. And then Bill Walton was tired of Portland. He wanted to come to San Diego because that grew up. So in compensation, Portland, for him leaving, they wanted Kermit. So I had to go up to Portland. Now, so it was like... <laughs> your head had around. to be spinning at, the, at a certain point. I mean, the the thing that I, I, I think sometimes we as fans forget is... You know, yes, you guys are entertainers. Yes, I mean, less so in the 1970s than today. But you know, you guys are well compensated. I mean, I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would have enjoyed being compensated like you know players are in 2016. But uh, you know, people think because athletes are making a nice living and because they're uh, you know playing a game that we as fans weren't good enough to get to that level that you know you have just you know you have it made. But 
Uh, could you talk a little bit about what it's like as an athlete to, to be traded? Because most of us in our everyday jobs, uh, we don't just like go into work one day and they tell us that we've got to move across the country because, uh, you know, we've been shipped to a, to a different workplace. What, what, is that, what is that like? Well, you, as an athlete, you have a lot of stress anyway. You have a lot of pressure and stress. And when you get up, uprooted, it even adds to more stress for your family and everything else like that. It, it's, well, first of all, at least you want to be, you're wanted. That makes you feel better than if you're not wanted. They're just trying to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. So at least somebody wants you. So that makes you feel a little bit better. But it, it's very it's difficult. Because just like anybody else, you're going to a new situation. You don't know anybody. You don't know your way around the city. You don't know how you will be um, um, accepted. It is difficult, but you know, as you said, though, we're making good money, so it could be worse. So you just pack up and go. You pack up and go. Sometimes you don't take your family with you right away. Um, and um, you bring them along maybe the next year. Because you're gone every other week anyway, so it, it's it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's, it's not easy. and as you know, you were talking about the, the how the NBA is a business, and it's very different than college ball. And one of the things that's different, you know, aside from the the, the business aspect of it, and kind of the cutthroat nature that goes with uh, being a professional, is the fact that that 82 game season is is a grind. Uh, what is it like the travel? And, you know, having to play, uh, you know, three games in four nights and things like that and being on the road. Because I would think that aspect of being an NBA player is is not very glamorous. Well, it's easier now because they have fancy planes. They get treated a whole lot better than we got treated. You know, we were in Motel 6s kind of, really. (laughs) Some of them weren't much better than Motel 6s, really. But... But that's back in the 70s, you have to realize. And it got better every year because people like Wilkes and Jerry West and Oscar Robinson, they just said, this is ridiculous, and we, we need to be treated better. So some of the places weren't very nice we stayed, and some of the arenas were very, very bad. Oh, horrendous arenas back then. <laughs> but now everything has got to be so much better. The players get paid more money. Um, they take private jets, so... It's a different world, but you know, I didn't complain. I don't think too many people complained because we we were doing better than the average person, and and it is pressure. You got to work hard. You if you don't play well, your report cards in the newspaper every day <laughs> saying that you weren't very good. So it does hurt you, but you just have to you know you just have to work. Nobody's gonna feel sorry for you. Before we get into your time with Portland, I I wanted to ask you, one of my favorite guys to watch play when I was a kid was was World Be Free. Uh, what was World like as a, as a teammate? Oh, you know what? That San Diego team was a lot of fun. That's the only city I played in that wasn't a lot of pressure. I mean, in L.A., there's pressure. In Boston, there's pressure. In Portland, tremendous pressure. It's pressure because they expect to win or, or they live for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, San Diego, we weren't expected to be that good. And we were we were a C-plus team. Um, we, I think we were 43 and, two, 43 and 39, something like that. That's I don't right. Know. That's exactly we a, right. We had, a, we had a winning record. And um, we were one game from making the playoffs. But World Be Free averaged 30 points a game. 
Randy Smith are about 20 a game, and we had two other really good guards, Brian Taylor and Freeman Williams. We had some good guards. But we'll be free, you know, what I'm saying, he came to play every night. Now, he wouldn't practice very hard. <laughs> he, wasn't a pra- he wasn't a practice player. <laughs> Allen Iverson but, theory of practice, huh? Therefore, <laughs> when he came to games, he was ready to play. Very, I enjoyed playing with World Be Free. I really did. I, I did. And um, I enjoyed playing with most of my teammates, except for when I first came in the league and I was like 21 or 22, and they were 35 and 36. I, I it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that enjoyable, and I wasn't playing either. So that, that led to a whole lot of other little problems, but... You just work hard and just hope to get off the bench. That's all. Well, so, so as you said, you uh, you guys were pretty good in San Diego, and you uh, uh, you know had a had a strong year. You averaged eleven and ten, uh, as you said. You played in every game, played thirty four minutes a night, uh, a really solid season. And so, as, as you alluded to earlier, you get you get dealt to Portland uh, after that season in uh, in a deal that brought Bill Walton to to uh, the Clippers. Um, and then you proceed to have probably, I, I guess it's fair to say, at least uh, numbers-wise, uh, the best season of your career uh, during your first year in Portland, 79-80. You averaged 13.4 and 10.5 boards and and made the All-Star team. Uh, what, what was that experience like your first year in Portland? Because you, you really seemed to uh, you really seemed to thrive there. Well, it, you know, it, well, here's the here, let's be really honest. Uh, I wouldn't have made the All Star team, but Michael Thompson, who was my teammate, broke his leg, so <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't play. I think he was playing football or something during the summer. That's Clay Thompson's dad. So mm-hmm. I, I've known Clay Thompson and him since he was a baby. I, I used to babysit him, <laughs> uh, my kids babysit him. So the thing is, because he didn't play that year. Um, I got more plays called for me, and I wasn't an all-star. Even though I did make the all-star team, you know, I was just a C-plus player. Let's be realistic. Hey, Kermit, you make the all-star team, you're an all-star, man. I, you're, you're, being, you're being too humble. You make the all-star team, I don't care what the circumstances were. You're an all-star forever. No, listen, I'm being honest. See, listen to what I'm saying. I, I knew what I was. And the next year, though, I was even better but the problem was, now, I was a better player because I was smarter, but I, I think I only averaged about 11 points and 9 rebounds. But, because Michael Thompson came back and averaged 20 points and 12 rebounds a game. Right. And then James Worthy came into the league. All these other stars started coming in the league. But I was a better player the next year in Portland than I was the other year, the first year. But the thing is, is that with me, though, I enjoyed Portland a, a, a tremendous amount. Uh, it was but up there, you're treated as, um, you're really a celebrity in Portland. That's all they had were the Blazers back then. That's mm-hmm. all they had. Mm-hmm. So they treated you as their son or their dad or their uncle or their cousin or nephew. You were treated as family if you were a trailblazer. So very, very nice place to play. I, I tell these ballplayers now, if you play in Portland and you play well, um, you you will enjoy it. Thoroughly be Enjoy it, and the people will treat you like a living, a living um, hero. And they will. It's a nice place to play. What was it like playing for uh, Doctor Jack Ramsey? Oh, you know what? If you play hard, if you don't worry about your stats, all coaches are easy to play for as long as you put a great effort out. But if you worried about how many points you get or whatever, 
then you're going to have trouble with every coach. But you just got to win. If you win, they won't bother you. But, the, you know, they're out there to – it's a team. It's not a group of individuals. It's got to be a team. And so, no, I love playing for him. Good guy. Really good guy. Well, t- tell t- – no, go ahead, Kermit. He wouldn't let you know if you weren't doing something right, though. But <laughs> very, very smart. We had really good plays. It wasn't this one-on-one stuff they do now. You know, they, they, it's just clear the side and pick and roll. It, it's not as enjoyable to watch this. And it's the way that Jack Ramsey had wonderful plays to get you open under the basket for layups. He was just a great coach. All right. I, I got to ask you about the All-Star game because, you know, even even though you, you're you very humble or as you, or as you would characterize it, realistic, which, which I respect, uh, you being grounded about it and how you see yourself as a player, um, Still a tremendous honor to play in the in the All Star game, and I was looking at the box score earlier today. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about our our discussion, and um, you know, I mean, th- there you are in the box score, Kermit Washington. I mean, what was it like going to that game and being a part of those festivities? I mean, I know it wasn't quite the amount of hoopla that we have now with NBA All Star Weekend and, and and all that, but uh, that I mean, I'm sure that that had to be you know a, a thrill. Well, you know, it was, but it was in D.C. where I grew up, so it was a thrill. The All-Star game that year was in D.C. where I grew up. Perfect, so, perfect. Know, it, it, my, my parents were able to come. My father, not my mother, she, she you know, she she never saw me play a single game. But um, it was good. And back to all the people that I grew up with, they came and saw me play. Because ten of us that grew up together on the playgrounds made the NBA together. Wow. Wow. It'll never happen it'll never happen again. But ten of us made the NBA that played on the playgrounds every day during the summer together. Holy cow who who were some of the other guys? Well, if you're too young to remember, like Fatty Taylor, Bernie Williams, Austin Carr, Dick Catholic, Collis Jones, Adrian Dantley, Kenny Carr, um, a guy named Tim Bassett, myself, Ronnie Hogue, um, let me see. A couple more. We had we had a lot, and a lot of guys who were very big stars and um, a lot of big stars in college that didn't make the NBA because back then it was only about fourteen teams, mm-hmm. fourteen to sixteen teams mm-hmm. in the NBA, and then the ABA came around. There was more teams, but the ABA had the best talent. I, I knew that because I played against these guys on the playground, and Dr. J and all those guys were better than the guys we had at NBA at that time. That's a, that's really interesting. I wonder how many NBA guys would disagree with you on that. Well, no, they wouldn't. If you think <laughs> about it, now you have to realize. Now, look who came from the ABA. You had George Gervin, Dr. J, Dan Issel, Artis Gilmore, um, Larry Keenan. You had oh, let me see. I, mean, I, I can't. You can't even. Oh, okay. Maurice Lucas, David Thompson, uh, <laughs> David Thompson, uh, Bobby Jones. I mean, I can't even remember all the guys that came. There were so many of them that came that were, oh, Zelmo Beatty. Um, mm-hmm. And he just got into the Hall of Fame. He just They just elected him. I mean, he died last year, I think, or the year yeah, before. That's, that's, that's a shame. He deserved, he, he deserved to be in a long time ago. But so many guys that came in over to the NBA um, were stars. I mean, absolutely. Right. Oh stars. yeah, George got, George McGinnis is another one. George McGinnis, yes. Oh, you got you talking about stars. We didn't have that many stars like that, and or flashy players. But the ABA just didn't have the television um, 
or network. And mm-hmm. we really didn't have an NBA network either because our games would come on at 11 at night or 12 at night after news Yeah, back then. I remember the NBA. Yeah, I remember the uh, Bullets and the Sonics. When I was a little kid, one of the first finals I remember was Bullets and the Sonics, and it came on after the came on after the local news. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you know Larry and and Magic uh, came into the league in seventy uh, nine, and yes, yeah, you know they had Doctor J, they still had Kareem, and then Magic came in in nineteen seventy nine eighty. So you start having, and then you had um, Isaiah them coming in. So you start having some really good players um, coming into the league. And so you had about, back then, you had about 10 really good teams. Nowadays, you only have three teams that have a chance of winning the championship. Back then, you had 10 that could win the championship. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you don't have as much talent. Maybe it's just so many teams. Right, it spreads so thin, yeah. So thin, but back then, you had guys... Like the Denver Nuggets had four four guys on the team averaging about twenty points a game. You had San Antonio about four stars on that team. You had I mean just it, uh, look at um, Seattle had a wonderful team. They had uh, Gus Williams, downtown Freddie Brown, Sigma, uh, James Bailey. Uh, oh, they Silas, Lonnie Shelton. Yeah. Then you had Portland with Lucas and Walton. Then you had um, you, you had gosh you had. Houston with um, Samson and Elijah Wan. You had Moses Malone <laughs> yeah. and all them in Philadelphia. You had oh. Bird and just, you just so oh, many you look, good teams. Yeah. You, you look at some of those Celtics and Lakers finals or whatever, and I mean, you know, those the, those teams, were, they were just loaded. Just loaded. Yeah, they were. Yeah. I, you don't have that now. You don't have that now. You just, you know, if, if I don't like saying this, but if Oklahoma City is not playing, if Golden State is not playing, and San Antonio's not playing. Uh, very few teams. I, I, you know what? I don't even like watching Cleveland anymore because they just clear a side, and it's one on one. I don't enjoy that. I enjoy when they go up and down the court. That's just me. Right. So there's, you know, there's three teams I'll watch. Everybody else, I, I won't turn the TV on for. Yeah, the brand of basketball I don't think is as entertaining as it was in the '80s. I mean, I remember like. You know, even even like the teams like like the Doug Moe, uh, the the Nuggets that Doug Moe coached in the '80s. Those teams were fun to watch. You know, Fat Fat Lever and Alex English and those guys. Oh, Van Wade, Dan Yeah, all, I mean, all those guys were good. I mean, you you had a lot of good players, a lot of good players, a lot of good players. How do you think? I mean, as you look back on it, as a guy who who played through the '70s and into the early '80s, I mean. What are the biggest differences that you see in the game today compared to the game that, that you played? Well, the athletes are better than we were because they, they, they are better athletes. Now, they're not as mature because they don't go through those years of college. And, and I think all of them want to be stars, and they have to understand you've got to be a team. You have to work together and care about your teammates. And that's why Golden State is so good, and, and San Antonio, because they care about each other. So that's what makes a big difference. And a lot of these guys want to be flashy, but you know it's good to be. You win, you're flashy. Don't worry about that. All you have to do in this league is win. And and I think that the NBA should really thank those three teams because I bet you the TV revenue is just skyrocketed, and the viewership is just gone sky high. 
because the NBA is smart enough what teams to put on those on TV like tonight. TNT, you have Golden State against San Antonio. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're they're not dummies in terms of no, the matchups not. that they know that people want to see. Um, you know, I, I just a couple of questions here for you, Kermit, and I'll get you out of here. But I, uh, you know, I was wondering like, in your career. Uh, you know, obviously you're you're down in the trenches under the boards, and and you know it's tough business to to uh, play in the front court in the in the NBA and take that pounding game after game and get in there and and, and, and basically average a double double uh, uh, every season like you did. Who were the who were the guys that were the the, the biggest challenge uh, for you to to play against, and the guys that maybe you you look forward to going against because of that challenge. Uh, you don't look forward to going. You don't look forward. To going. You don't look forward. No, they, I always used to have to check. Usually, a lot of times, the, the toughest, the best offensive player. Sometimes it was a three, four, or even a five, because like against um, Houston when Moses was there, Kareem would check um, somebody else, and I would have to check Moses. Oh man, that's a tough and assignment. So you don't want to do that. Then you know, I had Adrian Dantley, Bernard King, Maurice Lucas, Lonnie Shelton. I mean, Elvin Hayes, Wes Unsell, um, all these guys. Uh, it did, they all were good. And you had to check the person that were the best offensive players. You're not going to get too many plays off because they're going to come to these guys to start the offense. So, it, you know, I just try, I always try to stay in shape. But I lifted weights from the age of, what, 18. So I still lift weights every day now. It just became a, a, a habit knowing you have to be strong in shape to compete. Mm-hmm. These guys were talented. I mean, and a lot of these guys didn't have to work hard. They were given so much athletic ability. They didn't have to work as hard as I had to work. And um, you understand that. So you said, I've got to work. Well, be in shape. Maybe they might be off today. You hope they're off <laughs> because there are some monsters out there. And, and it was fun, you know. I can always say that I had, I think, about 10 or 11 players on my team that were Hall of Famers, and I had to go play against a lot of Hall of Famers, head up all the time. So, you know what? All I can say is I played, I enjoyed it. I can always look back with fond memories and, and just say, at least, at least I, my dream came true to play pro basketball, and my brother played pro football. So we both made it from little kids in a house, you know, just dream, having big dreams as little kids. That's pretty good stuff. That's pretty good stuff. I I wanted to ask you about the 1970s just as a decade. Um, you know, one of the things that I focus on on the at Super 70 Sports Twitter account is kind of just the pop culture of the 1970s. I, I, I suppose my fascination with the 70s goes back to the fact that that's when I grew up and uh, that's when I became a sports fan. But also there was just something about the 70s. You know, all the long hair and the afros and the mustaches and sideburns and the, the music and, uh, you know, social norms were changing and it was an interesting time culturally in our country. What was it like being a a successful young uh, athlete during that time in our nation's history when, uh, you know, the 70s were a little bit, as people look back on it, I think people see the 70s as being kind of a, you know, out there time culturally in our country. Well, you know what? You, you don't really think about it because it's a natural state of things. So mm-hmm. if you were a good college player, you became a good pro player. So you didn't. You weren't looking outside of your body, looking at you know, looking at 
the situation that you're in. Uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, but you, you just don't, I mean, at least, at least, let me say this. Even though we had the long hair and we were hippies and all the different things going on, it was a different mindset back then. Um, now with these tattoos, oh my goodness, they can't <laughs> get rid of those tattoos. I mean, we could cut our hair, we could change our clothes, but now with these tattoos, I, I don't know. I'm just, they, just uh, they call me old school now, but... The thing is that I think these kids have to be more aware because they have, we didn't make that much money in comparison to now. They have so many vultures, social media. It, it's, it's difficult for them to, to be successful and keep their noses clean when everybody's trying to dirty their noses up with some kind of news. So it's, it's not as enjoyable, I think, being a professional athlete or a celebrity now as it was back then. Because we, we didn't get in the news all And the news people that followed us were our friends. So they didn't try to find anything bad. They always looked for something positive. That's a really good point. I mean, with, with the way social media is now and everybody having the ability to record video right out of their pocket, uh, I can't imagine the kind of scrutiny uh, that's on these guys. You, you make one little slip up and it's straight to TMZ or you know wherever and everybody knows about it. That's, that's got to be a heck of a lot of pressure. It is. It is. It is. It's a different world now. Let me ask you real quickly before you, uh, before we go. Uh, who who do you have to win the finals this year? Without any injuries. Without any injuries. Without any injuries, I I really would go with San Antonio. Mm. That I is... want Golden State to win, but I, I, you know what? I, I, I San Antonio is so steady. They're so saying they don't rely on the jump shot. We usually rely on the jump shot, even though Golden State has done a tremendous job. I'm very proud of them. But see, sometimes you live by the jump shot, you can die by the jump shot. And San Antonio goes inside. So they go inside to their players with Leonard, and then they have Duncan, then they have um, Aldridge now, um, Lamarcus. Mm -hmm. So they're a different team. So it's going to be interesting. Cleveland, you know. Cleveland has a chance, but, you know, because I really love, um, you know, I love the guard, the, uh, Kyrie Irving. I, I think that he could neutralize Curry. He's good enough to neutralize Curry, which mm-hmm. means they could go back. I mean, they could play, neutralize each other. Uh, but I don't think with LeBron, it's clear side and one-on-one. I don't know about that. I mean, I think those days, they got to. LeBron is so much better when they go up and down. Mm-hmm. The half-court game, LeBron does well, but the team doesn't do as well. They're running. They, he does so well. He's a thoroughbred. He needs to run. Not that half-court, you know, horse and buggy game. No, that's not, that's not for him. Kermit Washington, you're a good guy. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. You take care. All right. Thank you, my friend. And what a pleasure that was. My thanks again to Kermit Washington for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed his insights and and really kind of an inspirational story going from being such an unheralded high school player to a collegiate All-American and ultimately an NBA All-Star. And what did we learn today? Well, we learned look out for the San Antonio Spurs because Kermit thinks that they have the right stuff to take down the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. So we'll see. My guest next week is Todd Radom. Todd coming back for a second round because 
we barely scratched the surface the first time discussing the best and worst uniforms and logos of the 1970s and 80s. This time around, we're going to tackle the NHL, the WHA, the USFL, the WFL. Uh, we're going to talk ABA and NBA, all of that stuff and more. So can't wait to talk to Todd again. I know that you're going to enjoy it. The first podcast uh, was really popular, so we're going to take another uh, trip back in time to the 1970s and 80s and discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of uniforms and logos. I'll catch you next time on the Super 70 Sports Podcast. See you, everybody.